Amen. Let's spiritually, uh, figuratively here, bow the knee as we go to the Lord in prayer here to ask his blessing and help on our service this morning and the preaching. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for reminder in song of uh, great principles from your word, uh, reminders that we are men and women and children who are frail and weak and obligated to submit to you, even though we, because we are sinners, often pridefully think we can do things on our own or we can accomplish what we need to by ourselves, and it's foolish, and we often try to go our own way, and yet, as we were reminded, we need to bow our knees to you. You are in control. Help us to remember that as we live our daily lives, and I pray that you'd help us as we look at your word today to be reminded of those very things, that you're in control, and though we need to, uh, be planful in our lives and, and have things we're striving for and working for, yet it all needs to be submitted to you because you do as you please and, and it's good because you are good and we don't know what tomorrow holds and therefore we need to trust you. Help us to re be reminded of these things as we look at it, your word uh, this morning and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my question for you this morning as we start is, do you prefer uh, uh, fiction or nonfiction? If you're going to choose a book to read or a movie to watch, do you prefer to watch uh, nonfiction or read nonfiction or fiction? Uh, I really, and especially I'm finding the older I get, uh, I enjoy history and real things, things that really happen in people's lives and um, amazing stories about things that people have gone through. Uh, uh, not long ago they produced a book and then turned it into a movie, The, the, the Unbroken, maybe you've seen that, uh, real life, based on a real life story of someone who went through World War II and lots of things that uh, he went through. Um, but I kind of prefer nonfiction, however, our society is quite fascinated with fiction these days, and specifically science fiction is a very, very popular, and even the, the concept of the fantasy genre and the sense of uh, pretend uh, worlds and realities that, are, that aren't uh, real, uh, such as the Lord of the Rings and those kind of things. So I have a little uh, slide, a uh, couple slides here for you. I'm gonna show you of, uh, I think, uh, most of you should know what these are, but these are vehicles uh, from uh, movies uh, related to science fiction and dealing with things in the future. So fiction in the sense of dealing with uh, future reality, uh, future uh, non-realities, but imaginations of men, but uh, things you would recognize. So do you know what that vehicle there is? It's the Starship Enterprise, right? Um, I'm not the biggest Star Trek fan, but I understand that's the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek, right? It's a whole, it started as a TV show a long time ago about uh, what the future might be like um, and, and traveling around space. Well, there's also been other science fiction, uh, you know that one is right, right? Uh, the, a TIE fighter from the Star Wars, right? Another 
uh, non-fiction, I'm sorry, a fiction stories about what the future might be like. And then there's even some uh, extreme uh, cases where people are not just dealing with the future and what it might be like, there's also the idea that you may travel into the future and then uh, come back from traveling in the future, right? You recognize that car? All right, so that's a DeLorean, right, from the, the movie they used in the Back to the Future, right? Well, our society has a lot of fascination, especially these days, with the subject of the future, what the future might be like, and fantasizing how, how that might be, especially with technology. We've got a whole different uh, avenue of uh, uh, thinking about the future now with technology and all the things that might be possible. But, you know, even though these things are true in our day, it was true back in Bible days that people thought about the future as well. And the subject that we're going to look at this morning is found in James chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 13 to 17, where the subject of the future is dealt with, and how we respond to the things of the future, how we think about the future. We need to be careful not to assume we know what's going to happen in the future. We need to instead depend on God every day. Because really, only He knows what's coming in the future. So let's read verses 13 to 17 and dive in to what God has recorded there for us in the book of James. It says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, your boast, uh, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So we've seen in the book of James that James is laying out different tests of a living faith. Someone who has true faith, what does that look like? We talked early on in the book of James about how we respond to trials. Our, our response to trials is different as people who know Jesus Christ than people who don't know Jesus Christ. We recognize that trials are part of God's sovereign plan to bring growth in our lives and therefore is an occasion for rejoicing. But that's contrary to how the world thinks about things. Trouble is trouble, and there's no benefit to things that are difficult and troublesome. But to a person who knows Jesus Christ and lives by faith, trials we can respond to with joy. Um, we also talked about how we should respond to God's Word and how we should receive it and respond in obedience. Uh, we talked also about how faith uh, responds by living out that faith, there is a consistency in the life of a believer. There are works that match the profession. doesn't mean there's perfection, but it does mean that there is growth and change that takes place in the life of a believer. We also talked about how uh, James mentions the subject of true wisdom and how a person who is truly wise will live and, and the subject of the tongue and how we use our tongue. Well, in today's passage... We're talking about the subject, you, you might say, the subject of pride. How do we 
live as a believer? Do we live independently of God? Or do we live subject to God, recognizing that our lives are in His control? Well, the obvious answer is, as a believer, we're supposed to live in submission to God, recognizing our lives are under His control. So James points out here our need for daily dependence on God, and he's going to challenge us to review our approach to how we plan out our lives. So he's going to talk about how we plan out our lives, and I think, first of all, he's going to give us an example of the type of problem he's talking about. So look again at verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So he starts off by engaging them with, Come now. He's calling for them to listen carefully to what he has to say. And he is then... Uh, focusing in on the example he's talking about here by saying, you who say. So this is characteristic of the type of thing that I'm addressing. And what is that thing that they say, he's going to explain here, uh, and we'll get to. But I wanted to point out, first of all, he's talking about speech, which has been a theme since chapter 3 especially, uh, where he focused on their tongue and the difficulty of controlling the tongue. And here again, he's talking about speech in 4, 13 through 17. But it's important to understand his focus on the tongue isn't that he's just worried about how we speak. His point isn't change your words, just say different things. Because that would just be an external conforming. It's not actually what he's getting at. What he's getting at is your speech reveals what you're thinking in your heart. And so he's just speaking to the external revelation of the kinds of thoughts and plans going on in our hearts. So understand, though he frames this or attacks this in the sense of what you say, he really means how you plan your life and your words are just an expression of that plan. All right. So with that understood... He is talking about what they're saying, and what they're saying reveals what their plans are. So he's talking about a problem here related to their planning. Look with me at what they say. It says, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So just to break that down a little bit. They're talking about going somewhere today or tomorrow. So there's a determination to get started pretty quickly on a new adventure or business venture in this case. So there's a determination to get started immediately. So there's a time component here uh, uh, to getting started. They also say we're going to go to such and such a town. And again, uh, nothing specific is mentioned because James is dealing with a generality. Um, But um, the point here is They're thinking about going somewhere. There's a determination of a location. So there's also a determination of a time frame. The people in this quote here are saying, we'll go for a year and uh, do these things. So there's a determination of an amount of time. So we can see these plans are pretty specific. There's a time we're going to get started there's a place we're going to go there's a time frame we're going to go there and then he talks about the activities they've determined the activities they're going to do they're going to engage in business so certainly the focus of what james is addressing is what might be common 
with merchants or traders, those who uh, were in the business of buying and selling, trading things. Um, and that's the crowd he's essentially uh, focused on as he's talking about this thing. So they're engaged in business. They're going to a city to buy and sell. And then he talks about their determination of success. Look at this. They, they're not only going to go and engage in business, they're going to make a profit. So the plans that people have here are they're going to uh, go to a certain place, a certain time, a certain length of time, engage in business activities, buying and selling, and they're determined to make a profit. So you might say, what, what's the problem here? What, is it wrong to be planful? Is it wrong to engage in thinking about and planning for the future? Um, if it were, we, we may have even some people in this audience that are in trouble, right? Because, um, Bob, don't you have some work to do regarding retirement planning? Isn't that part of what you do? So are we calling into question here everything that Bob does for a living? Is that James's point? No, that's not James's point. Uh, in fact, we're going to see um, it's more than just planning for the future that's, that's the problem. It's not just plans. It's how they plan. It's the lack of their consideration in their plans. But James is not here advocating for a careless, lazy, and haphazard way of life, right? So James is not arguing here that we should be like this kind of person, right? Just papers everywhere, disorganized. That's not the point, right? We know from the scriptures that God is a God of order. Talks about in the church that things are to be done decently and in order. So it's not that we should not plan. Um, that, that's not what he's getting at. I, I don't know if you've uh, been actively engaged in going to um, people's houses, maybe that have come to visit the church or something. But uh, in previous ministry, uh, my wife and I had a regular habit of going to houses of people that came to visit the church. And we learned that you basically don't go, I mean, Saturday was the best day to go because you're free from a lot of the other responsibilities. So Saturday we'd go, but we found if we went before 11 a.m., we didn't have anyone home. We, we, we didn't get any answers. Well, we learned later that people were home. They just weren't answering the door because they weren't up and moving around before 11 or 12 o'clock, Right. We, we live in a society where there's a lot of people that are very unorganized and discombobulated, and James is not advocating for that. James's point isn't that don't ever think about the future, don't ever make plans. That's not at all his point. His point is that uh, their plans are missing some things. Their plans are made inappropriately uh, without consideration of the whole picture. So let's look at verse 14, where James explains a little bit more about what's wrong with their plans. So verse 14, he says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So James explains the problem. There's a failed planning here. So they've made these plans, and yet... He points out there's some things you missed. You've made plans, but you missed something. They're not complete. They don't account for everything. And the big thing he's pointing out here is they have not accounted for the uncertainty of life. 
Life is full of uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And he points out here, you're ignorant. He says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. We as humans don't know everything. And we tend to oversimplify, don't we? We tend to think it's going to be tomorrow just like it was today. And sometimes that turns out to be true. But we don't have that guarantee, do we? We're not certain what's going to happen in a day. And to have the attitude in making our plans that we're just assuming everything will continue as is, is presumptuous. We need to be careful about that kind of presumption, that everything will stay the same and base everything on that, and that be the guide for how we live and how we make plans. We need to recognize our limitations. We don't know the future. We don't know when things will change. And we have to recognize that we are not in control. But it's not all hopeless. It's not all scary paranoia that we have no control and therefore it's disaster. Our overriding confidence ultimately is knowing that God is in control. As we're going to get to uh, more a little bit later. But the idea is we need to recognize in making plans they're subject to change. Because we do not know what will happen. Have you ever dealt with somebody who uh, plans everything? I, there's, there's someone in our lives who I, I won't name, but um, there's, there's someone that plans and, and insists on having everything planned six months ahead of time. And, and then something comes up three months later, and it's like, no, I can't change that. Because I planned three months ago that in three months from now, we're doing this. So I can't change that. We need to be careful. Yes, it's important to plan. But we don't know what's going to happen in our lives. So we need to be flexible. And the point, though, ultimately isn't about being flexible. The point is we don't know what's coming tomorrow. And we need to be careful about acting like we do. We don't. Just to illustrate our ignorance here, um, I like football. Love football. I used to play football. I like to watch football, college football, pro football. Um, a lot of heartache for uh, my team over the years, but uh, I like watching football. And so my older son and I, um, every week, we'll, uh, we'll make predictions about how the, the, the NFL games are going to go for the next week. In fact, we started the season, because we both like football, apple and tree, I guess, um, so we, uh, we made some predictions. We took all 32 teams, and we predicted what the records were going to be. We wrote those out, and we determined who we thought was going to make the playoffs, what the playoff teams were going to be, and what seeds those teams were going to have in the playoffs, and then who is ultimately going to win the Super Bowl and all of that. Well, guess who I picked to win the Super Bowl this year? I know it's not over, and I can't boast about tomorrow, even though it doesn't look good right now. Um, but I projected, not because I like them, uh, but I've been burned by them a lot, I, I picked the Green Bay Packers. And if you follow, I know some of you are laughing and some of you are, I don't get it. The point is, the, the person I have pictured here is the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers who I believe, and I think most people believe, is a future Hall of Famer. He's arguably one of the top five quarterbacks who's ever played the game, but we won't argue about that. But, 
Um, I picked Green Bay to go all the way. Why? Because Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks ever, in my opinion. But guess what I didn't know? I didn't know he was going to break his collarbone this year. So he may not return this year at all. If he does, maybe he gets to come back in December, they say. But they, if you've watched football and you know much about the Green Bay Packers, they're not the same team without him. I'm sorry, no, no offense to the current guy, but not the same team. In fact, if you watch the Lions on Monday night, they, they walked all over Green Bay at Green Bay. Now, it could be the Lions are getting better, but clearly Green Bay is not the same team without Aaron Rodgers. I had no idea he was going to be injured. If I knew that, my prediction for their record this year would have been a lot lower than what I predicted. It just illustrates we don't know what's coming tomorrow, do we? And just another way, uh, some guys were talking earlier. Um, I am not a betting man. I don't bet on football games. I like football games, and I'm aware. They, are you aware they, they estimate who's going to win and by how much? But the purpose of all that, really, is for betting. Well, one game they were predicting for yesterday was the Michigan State-Ohio State game. And they were giving Michigan State, like, 15 to 17 points. They expected Ohio State to win by that much. And I said, I'm not a betting man, but I, I remember thinking on Friday, if I were, I would have taken Michigan State. Well, I'm glad I'm not a betting man because Ohio State beat them 48 to 3. We don't know what's coming tomorrow, do we? Hopefully these things just drive home the point. We all could talk about our foolishness in making predictions and trying to prepare for tomorrow, and we just don't simply know. And that's the point James is saying. You don't know. So to speak as if you're arrogantly going to do all these things in the future is, is ultimately arrogant because we don't know. And he illustrates this by focusing in on our life. Not only do we not know the things that are going to happen, we specifically don't even know if we're going to be alive tomorrow. He says, your life, it's like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. A vapor, a cloud, or a mist, or a fog, it's something you see temporarily and then it's gone. And he says, our life is like that. In fact, our Lord tells the parable in Luke chapter 12 about the rich man. Remember that parable? The rich man uh, had gathered a lot of stuff. He had a lot of things. And he said, I'm going to build bigger barns and, and store my stuff. And then I'm going to say to my soul, hey, soul, take it easy and rest because you have much stuff. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, what a fool. Because you don't know that tomorrow God will require your life of you. He points out that life is short and you don't know if you're guaranteed tomorrow. So we need to be careful about assuming that everything's going to go just like it does today, tomorrow. Because we don't know, even to the point of our life. And in a, in a, uh, it's important to understand that we need to trust God in this situation. We need to depend on him daily because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. The problem isn't that they planned. 
The problem is their plans assumed success when they don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So James, in showing the problem with this kind of thinking, then introduces the right solution, the right way to plan. And that right way to plan means we need to recognize God's sovereign control in our lives and over this world. Look at verse 15. It says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So James here then says how they should speak. And again, it's not just that he's worried about us changing our language. It's not just an external change what you say to people. The point is change how you think, how you live. You live instead of being independent, thinking you're under control, you have control and you can control the outcome. Uh, Instead, you need to recognize God controls the outcome, and so this would be a change to how we think and how we live. So there's a contrast here that he's saying. He says, instead. So instead of what we've said, we need to say this. We need to think this way. This is how we need to recognize it should be. So it is a change of speech, like we said, but it is ultimately a change of how we live and how we think. Um, it's not just our words, but our actions. And so there's a change, but he also says here that it should be a conditional planning. Notice, this is what we should say. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So it's a conditional plan. It is a recognition that our plans are subject to God's desires. The will here refers to God's desire and his plan, what ultimately he is going to do. So there there are multiple uses of God's will in the scripture. One of the ways the scriptures talks about God's will is his revealed will that we have in the word of God. So we have in the word of God his revealed will. We know as Christians how he wants us to live because he's revealed that. That's what his desire is for how we live, all right? But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about God's will in the sense of what he sovereignly determines is going to happen. And this is called his decreed will. This is what he has determined is going to happen, and we only know this after the fact. We don't know ahead of time what he's going to do, except in the cases where we have prophecy about the future. Like we have some things in the book of Revelation that we know are going to happen um, that are his decreed will, but usually we don't know this. So James's point is God is in control. He's going to bring about his will, and we need to recognize with our plans that they are subject to that. We are subject to God's will. We are subject to what he has decreed is going to happen, and therefore we need to have a submissive approach to how we plan things. But we should also recognize that we should continue to plan. Notice what he says here. He starts it with, if the Lord wills. So there's the conditional. But notice that he's still recommending planning. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So the plans aren't the problem It's the lack of recognition of God's control in this world and submitting our plans ultimately under his will. And 
keeping him in focus as we make the plans. I think that's important to understand as well. One of the problems with the merchants or the, the, these people that were speaking like this, it revealed a worldview or approach to living that was not accounting for God's presence in their lives. And if we're going to be consistent as Christians, our plans should be all made with God in view and what would please Him and not just tacking on a phrase, like we said, of if the Lord wills to go through the formality, but a true submission and alignment with the will of God. Our focus on making plans should be to do the things that would please Him. Now notice also in this uh, difference of plans, there is again a focus upon life. He, he says in this kind of plan of verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live. So again, it's contingent upon whether we even have life. I think one of the points that James is making is our life is a gift from God. And we need to recognize that. And we need to live in light of that. God may choose to call us home. We should still make plans. We should still live in a planful and organized way. But we need to recognize God is in control. Our very lives are in his, in his hands. How much more, therefore, our actions are subject to his will. Our very lives hang in his hands. We need to recognize that. We need to hold that before us and incorporate that into our thinking. He says in verse 16, though, that we need to refrain from boastful uh, speech or boastful actions. He says in verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So he points out that to make your plans to disregard God's presence in the world as you plan things out is arrogant. As if you have the ability, number one, to even know what's coming tomorrow, and number two, control it. We, we don't even know what's coming tomorrow, let alone control it. James is pointing out that to speak that way is to reveal a heart that's arrogant, to, to think that we can control what's coming tomorrow is foolishness and arrogance because therefore we're acting as if we have qualities that only God has. God alone knows what's coming tomorrow. He is eternal. He's not bound by time. And he not only knows the future, he controls it. Do, do you understand that about prophecy? God isn't looking into a crystal ball saying, oh, you won't believe, Isaiah, what I saw is going to happen. Or Joel, check this out. Check what I saw. That's not what God is doing. It's not just looking him looking into the future and saying, whoa, i got to tell people about this. No, it's God saying what he is going to do because he's in control. Therefore, he can make promises to us in the scripture because he can make it happen. He will make it happen because he's in control. So a life of faith is a life of dependence on God because he alone knows and controls the future. 
So we need to humbly recognize we don't know. We don't have that ability to control. Only God does. And so we need to live that way, dependent on him. But he also points out here, uh, lastly, we need to recognize we're responsible for omission. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So this is kind of a general statement here that teaches us that omission, failure to do something, is sin also. Not just doing something wrong. The Bible word, when you do something wrong, you cross over the line, is transgression. Right? You, you've gone beyond what you're supposed to do. That's sin. But he also points out here, a passive thing can be a sin also. When we know the right thing to do, but we don't do it, that also is sinful. So these people that have made statements like this might say, what, what, what did I do that was so bad? I didn't say anything bad about God. I didn't, you know, I didn't do any, commit any sins that I'm aware of. James's point is, you in your planning have failed to take account of God's role in the world, so that too is a boastful arrogance that is sinful. So we need to remember that we're responsible for omission as well. And we need to live in daily dependence on the Lord. Now, I want to conclude this message today with, with an illustration from our own lives that I hope will be helpful to um, show you once again. You saw it from my football predictions, but uh, it's very clear I don't know what's coming tomorrow, and God's reminded us of that many times. One of the examples of what that happened recently in our lives was uh, earlier in the summer and maybe even in the spring, we were wrestling with several decisions in our lives. One of those decisions was about a job. In my workplace, there was somebody who announced their retirement, and uh, I was very interested in the position. So I went and talked to my boss's boss, who uh, wouldn't be the hiring manager, but would have a big influence in the decision. And that, my, my boss's boss uh, was very positive and encouraged me to consider uh, uh, pursuing this opportunity. Um, but the, the man who announced his retirement then later announced he wasn't going to retire right away. So it would be a year before he'd retire. So, but we, we kept praying about it and seeking that. It seemed like a great opportunity. Then another thing we're wrestling with was buying a new house. We, we lived in a, uh, a one-story, one no-basement uh, house with no garage, um, multiple children, and um, we felt pretty cramped. In fact, my daughter would come back from college, and we'd have to uh, shift my uh, Wesley into this, the study basement floor because we didn't have bedroom space. Um, so we've been praying about a house, and we weren't sure what was going to work out there. So we're praying about a house. We're praying about a job. So um, we got to maybe May, and we had looked at some houses at that point, found some things that we liked, but we had really planfully considered what God might provide for us and how we could um, afford an upgrade or not. So we looked at that carefully, and we were coming to the conclusion that we could not find a house 
that was satisfactory with all of our goals that we'd be able to afford uh, in what we had seen. So in our minds, uh, we, were, we were praying about all this, and we were coming to the conclusion that we couldn't afford the house right now. Now, I should mention, the other thing that we prayed about was that God would give us specific guidance from the scripture about his will that help us understand what he'd want us to do. And our pastor was preaching through the book of James at the time. And he preached one Sunday on James 4, 13 to 17. And that message really, really challenged us. And we felt it was a very powerful encouragement from the Lord that we didn't know what tomorrow held. And we needed to trust him and just wait and see what was going to happen. Well, so this is, this is what happened. We, we decided that we weren't going to buy a house. We were going to wait for this job thing to work out. So that was our decision. So this is probably May. We decided, no, it's probably not going to work. We just need to wait for this job thing to work out because then the kind of house we buy might actually be able to change, right? Maybe we can get something better um, that we can't afford, that we like, that's in the place that we want. So we kind of decided that, but what happened was not long after we had decided that, and we were kind of heartsick about it because we wanted to move, um, our real estate agent called us and said, I got a house that I think you'll like. And I thought about saying, well, no, we've kind of decided we aren't going to get a house. Well, we went and looked, loved the house. It was in our price range. And um, I got a map here. I don't know if this is perfectly clear or not to you, but um, this is our, our, our new house. And it's literally 1.6 miles from our, our church and where my wife teaches, which is one of our goals. We want a house that's bigger and closer so my wife can have a really short drive to work. That was one of our goals. God gave us that house that eventually worked out. It was within our budget. It was in the location we wanted. It was bigger to meet the needs uh, that, we, that we had. And uh, we thought we're going to wait on the house, and God reminded us, you don't know what's coming tomorrow. You need to trust me. Well, the other thing that happened was the, the new job that I was seeking. Not only did the guy end up delaying a year, what ended up happening not long after that was my boss and my boss's boss said, that job's just going to go away. We're going to save the money, we're going to reorganize, and there's going to be no job that you're interested in. So that job wasn't even a possibility anymore. We also had the experience we want, we had an old house. So, so the house we're moving out of, we're, what are we going to do with this thing? Um, I, I have a cousin who's in the real estate uh, business, and uh, I asked the person to kind of give me an opinion, what it's worth and how much we might expect to get from it. The conclusion of that conversation was, we can't sell it. We won't make enough. I, I can't take a big loss on it. We're going we're gonna to lose it. We, we, we might as well just rent it out. Well, our real estate agent at the time, after we got the new house, said, you know, I think we should try it for a few weeks. I, I think we might be able to do it. So we did. And guess what? We sold it. It's done now. I, I, some of you heard the drama. We had to repair the roof, but we got it sold. We finally closed. We did not expect that to happen. In fact, we, we also had this issue where we had to fix the roof in an emergency, and that caused a lot of panic. Uh, and it was right when I was preaching on James 1 about trials and, and uh, rejoicing in trials, and I got this 12 listed items I need to fix in like two weeks, and I was struggling to rejoice. But... Um, eventually got there and God sold that house I'm confident it was God's doing 
We didn't know what was going to happen. And then, and then we thought, now with our new house, we're going to be 1.4 miles away from church, so our drive on Sunday morning will be really short. And then what happened? I'm going over to Inner City. Rob, I, 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 they could use your help over there. So uh, the Lord worked it out for us to come here. So, and we're thrilled about that. But these are things we didn't see coming. And it, I know if we took testimonies and we walked through, you could all share similar stories in your life. And, I, and the point is, we don't know what's coming tomorrow, do we? So that forces us. If we knew what was coming tomorrow, we could probably think that we don't need to trust God, right? But because we don't, and we're limited, we know so little, even though we often think we're quite smart, we don't know what's coming tomorrow. We need to trust the one who does. And it's not just that he knows, he's actually in control too. What a great confidence, therefore, we can have in him. And we need on a daily basis to walk, therefore, in dependence on him, not make boastful predictions about what we think or what we think we can make happen tomorrow. We need to depend on the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are not left to have to worry because tomorrow is uncertain. It's true, we don't know, but you do, and you're in control, and that is incredibly reassuring. Father, help us to quit trying to control it and make it be what we think it ought to be and recognize you are in control. Father, we know we've got to keep the right balance. Help us to do that. We need to be purposeful. We need to be planful, but help us in all of those things to recognize your sovereign control, and may that be part of our decision-making process and our thinking and how we do these things. You alone know. Help us to walk daily in dependence on you instead of assuming we've got things figured out. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.